Tonight, I want to talk to you about the importance of what he was talking about there. It's the importance of testify, to testify. I want to talk about this because um, there's there's power in it, right? I mean, we've we've said the scripture, we've quoted it about how we overcome by the uh, blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, right? And so I want to talk about this process and what it means to testify and the importance of it. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We live in a society that is so interested in opinions and feelings. Believe it or not, whether you're on this side of the political realm or that side of the political realm, most people, it doesn't matter what side they're on, they want to hear what everyone thinks so that they can either try to influence them to think a different way or they can pat them on the back for believing the exact same way that they believe. Just really what we look for, right? We are so interested in the opinions and feelings of others, but what we do is we cast down the spiritual. How often do we find ourselves guilty of speaking and talking about things that are carnal more than we do about things that are actually heavenly? And even debating about the things that are carnal and having, having deep philosophical conversations. Listen, I'm a, um, I'm a guy who, who likes to get into the weeds and, and talk about it and everything like that. And the question becomes, how much time and effort and energy do we spend in that? As opposed to what we spend to testify to what God has done in our lives. Luke chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 11 through 19. What it says here, it says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called in a loud voice, Jesus Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus's feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Luke 17, uh, 11 through 19 is a very familiar story. This the story of the 10 lepers. Um, most of you have probably heard this before. This isn't necessarily breaking news. Um, you've heard the story, but I want to dig into this for a little bit because I think there is uh, an important lesson for us in the process of how we testify to what God has done. So to, to break this down and to understand this, one of the things that I decided to do is I, I wanted to really dig in and learn a little bit more about leprosy. Because I've heard about leprosy in the Bible forever, right? Um, it's been a common thing. And, and I just thought, you know what, um, I'm, I'm just going to start learning this. And honestly, um, what I wanted, what I originally thought to do was to put images of people who have struggled or deal with leprosy on the TV. But I'll be quite honest with you. It was so painful to look at that I didn't want to subject you to that um, where you were stuck staring at me and you had to look at it. Leprosy is, is um, incredibly difficult to look at. 
and what it, what happens to it's often considered a curse of God, and it's typically they try to associate it with one type of some type of sin, something that someone has done to to get leprosy. It would linger for years, and what it does is it causes the tissues in your body to start to degenerate, and it deforms your actual body. It would disfigure not only the skin but the bones. Um, twisting of the limbs, the, your fingers would actually curl up and they would call it claw hand is what would happen. Facial changes, the, the outer ear would start to thicken and the, the nose would even collapse. Okay, So this was severe change physically that anyone could see. It was very noticeable. There were so many things that would happen. And the disease was significant to so many people because what would happen is they would be cast out of society if they had it. Completely cast out. They had no opportunity to be a part. They literally, their part and role in society was to be away from society. It was like being hired for a job and being like, your job is to stay away from everyone else doing their job because you're just a problem, right? It, it, that's, that's literally what their role was. And so the speculations would then take place because most people would speculate there was some type of horrible sin. So you've got to imagine not only were you dealing with this horrific disease, but everyone was talking about why you had that disease. Now, likely whether it was true or not as to why you had the disease. But let me tell you, people can make up some really good stories when you let their minds just go out, right? Yeah. They can come up with some crazy stuff as to what. So you've got to think these 10 people had been living that life. Completely cast away from society, completely cast away from anyone, any loved ones, any connections that they had, any life that they had was ripped from them because of this disease. And so understanding the significance of this disease should show us how significant this miracle was. See, this miracle didn't only bring healing to these people. That was a piece of it. There's no doubt about it. But that healing provided the opportunity for life. Real, rich life. Now, when I thought about that, I thought about how in our own situations, God has given us an opportunity for life, a new life, a different life, a life that is absolutely rich in his favor and in his love. But so often, even though we have that, we choose not to live in it. Whether it be because of something we feel or we think or what someone else said or whatever it is. And so when I read this story, I'm, I'm often like baffled at the thought. And so many people talk about this, about how only one of the ten came back to give God praise. But how often do we fall victim of that very same thing? In terms of the healing, the significance of the healing was uh, there was a couple of things I want to point out. First off, healing didn't come because of something Jesus did to them. It's because of something they did in response to Jesus. If you look, what, what it says here, and I think it's 14, it says, when he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest, and as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, that, that act of obedience is what allowed them to receive that healing. So as if we can, if we can begin to understand that Jesus had instructed them to do something and they received healing as, as a pro part of that process, we have to understand that there are things that God has in us, God, things that he is speaking to us that is going to open doors for something miraculous to take place. 
Now, it might not be something that's, um, that's physical for you. It may not be something, um, it may be something that's emotional. It may be something that's financial. It may be something that's uh, uh, just whatever it, you know, whatever it could possibly be, something with relationships. But we have to understand that we need to be listening to what Jesus is instructing. And so I really started thinking about this scripture because I didn't quite understand it when I, when I first read it. I said, why would Jesus tell them to go show themselves to the priests? Like why, why was that a thing? And I had to go back, back, back into Leviticus chapter 14. Okay. Now, I'm not going to put all these scriptures on here because I would do a miserable job of trying to keep up with this. But I'm going to speed read through what Leviticus 14 is. Okay. Leviticus 14 is the process that the priests would have to go through to really allow someone who was leprous to come back into the community. Someone who had been healed, they had to come to the priest. This was the process, and it was it's spelled out here in 20 verses what had to take place. Now, I am not going to read. There's more. There's more verses that actually gave different options if they were a poor leprous person. There was different things that they could bring. But I, I wanna, I'm going to read this through real quick. It says, The Lord said to Moses, These are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing when they are brought to the, peace, to the priest. The priest is to go outside the camp and examine them. If they have been healed of their defiling skin disease, the priest shall order that two live clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over fresh water in a clay pot. He is then to take the live bird and dip it together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed over the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. After that, he is to release the live bird in the open fields. I was like, whoa, that's some crazy stuff. First off, killing one bird, taking the other bird, dipping it in the blood of the other bird. And then letting it fly off into the woods, right? I'm, I'm thinking, okay, this is insane. But there's more. Um, it says, the person to be cleansed must wash their clothes, must shave off all their hair, and bathe with water. Then they will be ceremonial clean. After this, they may come into the camp, but they must stay outside their tent for seven days. On the seventh day, they must shave off all their hair again. They must shave their head, their beard, their eyebrows, and the rest of their hair. They must wash their clothes and bathe themselves with water, and they will be clean. On the eighth day... They must bring two male lambs and one ewe lamb, a year old, each without defect, along with three tenths of an FF. I, I don't even know what that is. Mike, help me out there. 11 pounds, 5 kilograms. That sounds believable. <laughs> of the finest flowered mint. <laughs> nice, Jordan. <laughs> of the finest flour mixed with olive oil for a grain offering and one log of oil. The priest... Who, announces, who pronounces them clean shall present both the one to be cleansed and the other offerings before the Lord at the entrance of the tent meeting. And the priest is to take one of the male lambs offered as a guilt offering along with the log of oil. He shall wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. He is to slaughter the lamb in the sanctuary area where the sin offering and the burnt offerings are slaughtered. Like the sin offering, the guilt offerings belong to the priest. It is most holy. The priest is to take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. The priest shall then take some of the log of oil, pour it into the palm of his own left hand, dip his right forefinger into the oil in his palm, 
and with his finger sprinkle some of it before the Lord seven times. The priest is to put some of the oil remaining in his palm on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed and the thumb of their right hand and the big toe of the right foot on top of the blood of the guilt offering. The rest of the oil in his palm, the priest shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed and make atonement for them before the Lord. Then the priest is to sacrifice the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from their uncleanness. After that, the priest shall slaughter the burnt offering and offer it on the altar together with the grain offering and make atonement for them and they will be clean. Pretty simple process, right? Pretty simple. See, Jesus sent them to the priest because they, he knew that even though they had received healing, they still weren't going to be allowed back in camp, right? They weren't going to be allowed to just come back and start doing whatever they wanted to, right? And I think about how coming back to the camp wasn't just a simple process of, hey guys, I'm good now. I'm good. All's good. They were like, mm, no, you ain't. You're going to go to the priest and you're going to do all that stuff because that's what you're supposed to do. And you need to get yourself in order, right? They couldn't just walk right back in there. And so I think there's a reality in this passage that we can sometimes miss. I don't think that these other nine lepers weren't appreciative. I don't think they walked away, experienced healing, and went, oh, shoot, man, my leprosy's gone. They weren't disappointed. They were excited. I can guarantee you, because it was the disease that they lived with, there was nothing in them that would have said, oh, big bummer, right? Big bummer, I can't be around people anymore. And I think what this passage is really designed to highlight is the importance of this. And I want you to say this with me. Say glory, glory. Before, before story. Glory. glory before story. I love to tell a good story. I love to tell a good story. I'm a storyteller. When I was uh, um, at dinner Tuesday night, um, I was telling a story, and there's a, a great man that I do a lot of work with. Um, he's originally from India, and uh, um, I was telling a story at dinner, and uh, he said, he said I, I love how you tell a story. I love how you tell a story, and, uh, um, and I wasn't even giving him any money. He was just saying that, right? <laughs> I love to tell a good story, but the reality is if, if I get a story like a testimony backwards, and I spend all the time on the story, but none of the time to take time to glorify God for what he had done in that story. I'm getting it backwards. I'm getting it wrong. And so often what happens is we get so excited about what God has done is we forget to take a moment to get at his feet and say, thank you, Father. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for this door. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this healing. Thank you for, for this deliverance. Whatever it is, we miss that. And so we have to understand that, guys, we need to, we need to bring the glory to God before we start bringing the story to everybody else. See, I believe that every single one of us, we have some sort of leper story. Okay, maybe you don't have a deformed claw hand that you can talk about. Okay, uh, maybe maybe it's not to the degree that these people had experienced, but there is something that God has done in your life that is worthy of first giving Him glory, but then sharing that story. You know, we we uh, um, we get upset uh, when we're driving down the road, um, maybe down the interstate. And we see that someone needs to get over, and we slow down to be nice, and we let them get over. And if they don't do one of these, we're like, they didn't even say thank you, right? That's what we did. How much more has God done for us 
And we're not giving them one of these, right? How often does God do something incredible in our lives and we get so caught up in what has taken place that we forget to take time to give him glory? Now, it's not to say that we're not trying to give him glory when we go and talk to someone about it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. I'm saying we absolutely should do that. And you're going to hear me talk about that more in a second. But what I am saying is that we need to take some private, quiet time and go thank God for what he is doing. Or what he has done. See, we we want to um, we want to say thank you in these big moments, but God is desiring the intimate moments to hear our hearts. And I think uh, I think the reality is is when I think of those um, those other nine lepers, right? Is I think this. I think that um, many of them had other things that they wanted to do. Like first off, they had to go find these lambs um, and. Uh, how much was it again? Like 11.2 pounds? 11 pounds and 5 kilograms. 11 pounds and 5 kilograms of this flour, right? They had things because they knew what they wanted to do. They wanted to get back into society probably as quickly as they could. And so they knew they were going to have to go through this process, this eight-day process, right? And so how hard would it be for you to receive something miraculous like this and then sit on it for eight days? That'd be tough. It'd be really tough, right? And... What, what they want, what we want to do often is we want to allow those things to take precedence over our praise. See, we get so caught up in what other people want us to do or, or other things that we think we should be doing or other things that everyone wants you to do, whatever it is, right? That we allow these things to take precedence over our praise. And the reality is, guys, they're not more important than your praise. See, God deserves all of our glory. All of it. Not a little bit of it. Not some of it. Not when we've got a little extra around the house. He deserves all of it. And we want to downplay the significance of the healing. But you need to know that people are actually craving to hear your story. But God deserves the glory first. God deserves the glory before we go out and tell that. Because by glorifying him... We are taking a moment to honor him for what he's done. And when you look at the story of the ten lepers, that's all Jesus was wanting. Right? He said, how come all ten were healed? How come only one came back? How come only one came back? And I don't want that to be the story for us. Okay? Um, so I got thinking about this um, Thursday night. Every time I travel... Um, I use Yelp. Does anyone use Yelp in here? Okay. Um, who doesn't know what Yelp is? Well, I know what Yelp is, but okay. Here, here's what Yelp is. Um, Yelp is a website, an application, where you can go and see how other people rate restaurants. Or you can actually rate everything now, I guess. It's like everything. But I think when it started, it was just restaurants, okay? And so when I was, when I was in Arizona... Um, uh, I get to eat really good typically when I go out. Um, so I'm going to share some of my dinners with you um, from Michael. Um, so this is um, this was my first night there. Um, nice, <laughs> nice, nice ribeye steak. Um, when I go out of town, I usually am like, okay, I want to just get one steak. That's usually like, I just want one steak. I'm going out of town. I deserve one steak. I'll eat really cheap the rest of the time, typically. Really, really cheap. Like, literally, I'll take my expense reports in, and uh, uh, I took it to one of the owners one day, and they were like, what? 
what did you eat for dinner for $8, Tom? Like, what did you have? And I was like, that was a Chipotle burrito. And they were like, seriously, even when you're not, like, you, it's expense. I was like, yeah. Um, so um, I, I have this steak this night, and then guess what? Surprise, I have steak another night. So now I'm really starting to feel like a king, right? <laughs> this guy was like, hey, let me treat you to a nice dinner. And then it was a lot nicer than I thought, and it was delicious too. Um, and then the next night, he was like, hey, let me treat you to another dinner. And then I got like this weird, fancy um, Mexican restaurant, okay? This was like, yeah, when the dishes came out at the tables, this was a really weird place because what happened was we showed up and we're all kind of like looking at each other like, where's the menu? Where's the menu? Where's the menu? Where's the menu? We were literally all saying this uh, just repeatedly for 12 minutes. Uh, So we're all kind of looking around and then the the waiter walks in and the waiter says, um, uh, he says, everyone's been asking me um, where the menu is. Um, Are you guys ready to hear what our meals are today? And we're like, yeah. And he, he brings this like, chalkboard on an easel out and stands it out right like right here in front of us he's like are you are are you all gonna listen at once or we're like yeah i guess i mean he's gonna do like a little speech and he literally goes through line by line and describes every single item that's on this menu okay and the the reason he said he said it's because we change our menu every two days every two days we're doing something completely different so you never know what's going to be here and so literally so he goes and he reads everything off and that was something that i couldn't pronounce but i got it okay (laughs) I had no idea how to say it. I was like, I want the mulata um, steaky thing. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah. And so it comes out like this. And I'm sitting there, and what, what immediately happens is um, there was like three or four guys that were there, and they were like, i got to be honest with you, man. I'm not much one for taking pictures of my food, but I'm going to take a picture of this because this is like crazy. Like, like look, look at the, the way he did, they did the salad and the fruit and all this stuff. So anyways, but then I hear the person next to them that says, hey, are you going to leave a Yelp review for them? Okay. And so this is, um, this is just, just so you're aware, this is what a, a Yelp review kind of looks like. Uh, this is the place that we went to, Kafa. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, whatever. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a little line. <laughs> so, so like you, what you can do with Yelp, right? You can go and you can see how many people. Re- so this, this place has had 1,144 people go to their page and give them a review, which is like unbelievable. I've never seen one with that many. And they've got a four out of five star rating. And literally, you can see like all these positive reviews that are stacking up here, really. They like stack them up. And so immediately, yeah, I have an idea of what I'm in for. Now, on the flip side, if you're a company that doesn't have very good reviews, like uh, this company, the Regal Kaffa. Uh, <laughs> I did that one for Ashton. Um, this, this company has 87 reviews and has one star. And, and because... Because of all because all of the ratings are actually so bad, um, Yelp is smart enough to actually give you. You might also consider these other restaurants. That's what it. That's literally what it does. So what what I thought about when he said that, you know, I thought what I typically do every time that I go out of town, I will pull up Yelp and I will determine where I'm going to eat. That's what I do. Okay, went to Chicago a few months ago and I had my Yelp app and I figured out where to go. Right. The reason I do that is because I'm interested in what other people say, right? All right. See, because here's, here's the thing. I could just go to these companies' websites and I could read about their food. I could see their pictures of their food. How many of you have ever had a burger from McDonald's that looked like the picture? Rosie, we need to talk about that McDonald's. It's, it, it, it like never matches up, right? 
And so what happens is your expectations are completely different because if I look at just their website, they've got it, they've figured it out, right? They know exactly how it should look. They know exactly how to describe it. They know how to say everything that they want to. And it, and it might make me feel good, but then I'm going to taste it and I'm going to feel bad, right? It's not going to match up to the expectations. And the reason I do that is because I am interested in what other people have to say. I'm interested in what other people have to say. Now, what I'm telling you is that what we need to think about is how many reviews have we submitted on companies, restaurants, experiences versus how many times have we testified to what God has done in our life? Now, see, when I, when I think about this, right, I'm not talking, when I talk about sharing a testimony, I'm not talking about quoting and reciting what's in this book. That's not what I'm talking about. See, because this is, this is what many people would say are the company pictures, Right? See, you can look at that Yelp review and it will actually show you what was submitted by the actual owner of the restaurant versus what was submitted by the actual people who ate at the restaurant. And I can guarantee you the pictures from the owner, it's like, it's like champion photography, right? It's amazing. But then you see everyone else's and you're like, that does not look anything like what they were showing, right? And what happens so often, guys, is... We want to give them all of this. Now, I'm not saying that there is not power and anointing in these words. I'm not saying that. But what I'm suggesting to you is that there is power in your own story that is going to be of more interest to them. See, people want to know what God has done in your life. They don't want to necessarily know what God did in someone's life 2,000 years ago. They want to know what he's done in your life, your story, your experience, your change. That's what draws people. When Jesus healed the demon-possessed man in Luke 8, what did he tell the man to do? He told the man to go back, return home, and do what? Tell how much God has done for you. He did not tell the man to walk over there and tell them about all the other healings that Jesus had done. He did not go and tell them, hey, tell them about how I was born of a virgin. He did not tell them to go away and tell them anything else but what God had done for them. And see, we will work so hard and we will get ourselves to a point where we will decide that we can't testify. We can't say anything about what God has done for us because I don't know all of this. And if they ask me something, I don't know how to answer it. Let me tell you something. That is a lie of the enemy that is intended to keep us from spreading the good gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't give you the right to not learn this and to not study it and not to understand it. But what I'm telling you is that there is a story within you to the goodness of God, to who he is, who he is to you, what he's done in your life. And there are people around you who need to hear that story. We need to testify to what God has done for us, right? It's not about reciting scripture after scripture after scripture. It's about sharing your story and what God has done in your life. See, we want to believe that people don't care. We want people and people want you to believe that, that they don't care what God has done for you in your life. But I'm telling you right now, there are broken people in this world every single day, around every single one of us. And they want to hear something that is life-changing. They're not necessarily looking for a story 
from 2,000 years ago about what Jesus once did. They want to know what he's doing now. And what he's doing now is something that's taking place in your life. That's what they need to hear. That's how we testify. See, we have to take that moment to glorify, to give God glory for what he has done in our life. We need to, we need to honor him in that way. But guys, we need to testify to who Jesus is to us. Not, not you testify to, to who he is for me, but you to testify to who he is for you. You need to know him in that way. You need to understand what he has done for you. You need to understand where he has brought you from. You need to understand where he was taking you. And he wants you to know all of those things. He desires for you to know all those things. That's how we testify. That's how we share what God is doing. Tiff, I'm going to ask you to come. And if you would stand as we get ready to close. When I, I, I have at times in my life believed that lie that people don't want to hear about Jesus. Okay. And there are people that I'm going to be honest with you. They don't want to hear about Jesus. There are. But what I'll, what I'll also tell you is that when it comes to sharing your testimony and what God has done in your life, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to start the same way that, you know, Luke 17 started off, right? It can start a lot of different ways. It can start by talking about yourself. People typically like to hear about you, about what's happening, what's taken place, what's transformed you, what's brought you to where you're at. Because let's be honest. I mean, I know there's some people that will say that they, they don't, but most people that you're around, they're interested. They're interested in you. They're interested in what you've done and where you've been and what's happened in your life. But we have to, we have to be a people that learn how to testify. Wednesday night, um, I was at dinner and uh, um, I was bragging on my wife and uh, she already knows this, um, but I was telling people about how much she does and how gifted she is. And they usually think it's completely wild and crazy that she got into this business before I did um, and uh, everything that happened in terms of that, right? Um, and, and I talk about how much she does, how much she grades. And the guy who I was sitting to, he says, man, it sounds like you got a, you got a great one there. I said, without a doubt, right? But if I only tell everyone else and I never tell her, what good is that? See, we want to use the excuse that God knows my heart. I think that's a horrible excuse for us to use. Because God wants to hear from you. See, we want to justify our lack of communication with the Father by saying he knows my heart. And while he may know your heart, he still wants to hear it. Bethany may know that my heart is for her, but she wants to hear it, right? It's not good enough if just everyone else hears it, right? It doesn't matter how much I talk about it outside. If I don't talk about it right here, it doesn't matter. It's not good enough. And it's the same way with God. See, we need to give him glory about what he is doing in our own story. About how he is bringing us to a place where our hearts can be opened and changed. And some of you might be thinking, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even have a story. 
I can tell you that God will give you a story. You just got to open yourself up to God. That's it. See, you know, my story is I, I grew up um, in a house that went to church. I grew up, you know, I was a, I was a, a pastor's kid, went to church, held 42 positions in the church. Because <laughs> they just made up positions like crazy. There's so many positions in that church. I think I was a song leader, assistant song leader, youth song leader, assistant youth song leader, Sunday school teacher, assistant Sunday school teacher, second grade Sunday school teacher. There was, I was, yeah, it was a lot, right? And I would do things and do things and do things and think that that was what was necessary to build my relationship with Jesus. What I found is I got so busy trying to do and earn things in my life that I never understood and really meant who Jesus was. Until one day, Jesus was like, you don't need to just keep running and trying to do things to earn my love. You just need to receive my love. And all of a sudden, it changed my perspective. I started to know who he was on a deeper level because guess what? I wanted to know who he was. I wasn't doing something out of obligation. I wasn't his servant. I was his friend. And it changed the entire way that I looked at church, at religion, at Christianity, at Jesus, at the Father, at the Holy Spirit. It changed everything. Everything was changed. And it was just because I opened up and allowed him to show me who he was. God wants to show every single one of you who he is really. But you have to be willing to let him give you a story to talk about. 